Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Masterclass U.S. Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. This show has been designed to demystify the U.S. market for Italian wineries through interviews with experts in sales and distribution, social media, communications, and so much more. We will quiz each of our esteemed guests at the end of each episode to solidify the lessons that we've learned. So sharpen your pencils, get out your notebooks, and join us each week to learn more about the U.S. market. Hello, welcome to Masterclass U.S. Wine Market. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Ana Lovalio Balbo to the Italian Wine Podcast. The daughter of Susana Balbo, Argentina's first female winemaker, Ana was born in Salta, grew up in Mendoza, and studied business administration at the Universidad de San Andres in Buenos Aires. In 2012, she returned to Mendoza and joined her mother's winery as Susana Balbo's marketing and hospitality manager. Ana's entrepreneurial spirit led her to open Osaria de Crier, the first restaurant at the winery, where the food is paired with Susana Bubbles wines. And she's introduced some other interesting projects at the winery that we're really excited to learn more about in today's conversation around second generation family leadership. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast, Anna. It's so great to have you here. Thanks, Juliana. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So before we dive into today's discussion, Anna, you work with your mother. Tell us a little bit more about how you came into that role today at Susanna Balbo. Yes, as you mentioned, I joined my mother in 2012. Before that, uh, I studied business in Buenos Aires, and I honestly didn't know I wanted to join the family business. So I did my own wine for a little while and I worked in some corporate finance. Around that year, my mother was seeing me in another company and doing pretty well, actually. So she started telling me, you need to come work with me. You'll have more flexibility, which is true. You'll work less, which is not true. And I was away from my hometown, Mendoza, back then, more than eight years. So I Mm -hmm. started having second thoughts and I wanted to come back to Mendoza. So then I applied um, what my grandfather used to say, that if if there's a decision you wanted to take later, you should take it sooner, you know? I don't know how to translate that, but... So I thought it would be more fair with my my current boss at the time uh, because he had a lot of expectation for me to tell him before to come back. And I did that. I started working with my mother. You know, parents can be really subjective with their kids. And there are different types of parents, I believe, in this kind of family business. Some of them are very tough, actually, with their kids. And some of them are, here are my kids, and they are the very best thing in the world. And my mother is it's like that. Like, she believes we are the best. And I didn't want her to put me in with a lot of responsibilities from the very beginning. So um, I just told her, look, this is my last paycheck. This is exactly what I want to earn, not a peso more, not a peso less. And (laughs) after two weeks working with her, um, a boy that was in charge of Comex, 
left and I told her I was back then like just wandering around and trying to learn a little bit of everything. Right. And I told her, let me replace Bruno and start from here mm-hmm. and understand this part of the business that was sales in the domestic and Latin American markets and then grow into other positions. So that's how I actually uh, began. And I think I really fell in love with the industry because it's been more than 10 years with a, a lot of changes and different roles within the, the company, but it feels like yesterday, you know? Yeah, it moves fast. Yeah, but that's I really like that approach that you took with your mother and your family business. And I think, you know, there's so many family businesses, as we know, in Italian wine as well. So I think that there's some really strong lessons and parallels that we, our listeners can draw from. But that idea of starting from humble beginnings, really starting at the bottom to learn the business from the ground up and understand it from different lenses. It sounds like you took that approach of really trying to understand the whole business before going into a leadership role. You know, my former boss, I was doing corporate finance in a big company. He didn't want me to leave. So he told me, you don't have to be the person doing the French fries in the McDonald's to run the McDonald's. And I told him, that's a terrible advice. (laughs) And I think I should definitely need to know how to do the French fries before I run the McDonald's. So (laughs) he called my mother and told her that they could share me and that I could work with him from Mondays to Thursday in Buenos Aires and then come back to Mendoza from Fridays to Sundays and maybe be part of the, the board. So then I, I came back and, and that's the approach I took here uh, to start learning from very basic roles until growing into leadership. So Anna, in this episode, we're going to talk about how to build a luxury wine brand like Susanna Balbo and more specifically, how to lead it into the second generation. So many Italian wineries are also family run and moving into their second generation. And recent research has actually shown that successful leaders in the second generation are often very creative and entrepreneurial but also still maintain that really collective family mindset. So we want to talk to you a little bit about how do you balance those two things. So we're really excited to learn about how you're carrying forward your family's vision from the vineyard to hospitality. Our three key takeaways for today's masterclass, what we're excited to talk to you about, Anna, are number one, how do you transition a well-known first-generation winery to a second-generation winery? Number two, how do you expand the winery's business to new opportunities? And finally, number three, how do you develop unique hospitality offerings within a winery that can attract new consumers? So let's just start a little bit with a little more of the history of Susana Babo. This is the Italian wine podcast, and we know you're in Argentina, so not all of our listeners might be as familiar with Susana Babo. Susana introduced new technology, critical role in modernizing the Argentinian wine industry. Tell us a little bit more about the history of the family business. Yes, sure. It's very interesting because... First of all, my mother became a a winemaker uh, by chance. She has always been a quite unique person. And actually, she wanted to study nuclear engineering. Oh, wow. And my grandfather wouldn't allow her to go 18 years old, live by herself in the only university that would teach that. It's at the south of Argentina in Bariloche. Because at the same time, there was a military government here in Argentina. So it was very difficult and dangerous times to be around. So she became the first female winemaker by chance because she studied winemaking because there was a lot of physics and chemistry. And she said, okay, maybe I can start from here and this university is in Mendoza. And then I can move on to this nuclear engineering she really wanted. 
And she was lucky enough to fall in love with the career and to have great teachers. And she became the first female winemaker, you know, which has kind of, of drove our uniqueness because her approach as a female has been completely different and unique. And after that, she couldn't find a decent job in, in Mendoza because it was this men-dominated industry back then. And she was given the opportunity in northern Argentina, in Salta, in the Calchaquis Valley, which is a quite remote place nowadays. So imagine 40 years ago. Yeah, it is. And I have been to Bariloche and to Salta, so familiar with both places. And they're both incredibly beautiful, but very remote and extreme weather as well. Exactly. And that's how also she became related with Torrontes, which today is one of our flagship white varieties for Argentina. And I think my mother has done a lot for that. And we have worked in this approach because when she started in Salta, uh, Torrontes was all, only seen as table grapes and as lots of productions. And she was one of the first winemakers to see an international and fine wine approach to this grape. Mm -hmm. So that's why Torrontes is very important to our winery. And we have done a lot of changes and styles throughout the years, even until today, like last year, we still launched different wines out of Torrontes to show what's coming next for Torrontes. So after that, she came back to Argentina. And back then, she was 10 years in Salta and she was working from somebody else. And the company she worked for, uh, Sucesión Michel Torino, went three different administrations. So the last administration, the last owners, were not from the wine industry, and they were speculating there was hyperinflation in Argentina. There is a lot of context to all these decisions. And my mother was, to, to make a long story short, she was one year without getting her salary paid. Wow. So that was the first time she said, I will never work for somebody else again. I need to have my own thing. I need to be an entrepreneur. So she met my father in Salta. Actually, Jose and I were both born in Salta, even though we, we never lived there for a long time. And they came back with my father and tried to make their own winery here in Argentina. And they completely failed. <laughs> and they almost went bankrupt and they got scammed. And it was difficult for them to succeed at that first project, but she took a lot of key learning from that. Wow. As a consultant, she had made a great reputation for herself of being a very professional winemaker and very good at what she did. And she consulted different wineries abroad in Argentina. She started doing this double vintage in the U.S., in the Northern Hemisphere, and in Mendoza, and becoming very conscious of everything we were lacking, like technology or know-how or expertise, and wanted to change things here in her hometown. At the same time, she was also hired by Catena, and she worked for uh, around four years for Catena. On the one hand, she was in charge of building the pyramid. Catena Zapata's winery is a pyramid, so she was in charge of making that investment happening and being the technical voice with the architect to make it also functional, you know? Right. And when she was hired, uh, she told uh, Nicolas, I know I will want to have my own thing again. And he still wanted to move on, hiring her. And she was also this role that she still knows that it does for our winery of having a technical person traveling and defining the style of the wines. You know, when you have technical people, winemakers, visiting the markets, it's instant 
when you interpretate what the consumer is feeling and what you have to do in the winery to make it better, you know, or to make a wine better for... Right, gaining that perspective. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's so important in the wine world, especially if you're going to build an international brand, right, to have the perspective of what's happening in other markets, take those key learnings back to adapt what you're doing to suit the consumer, right? Ultimately, we have to sell the wine, (laughs) of course. Yes, definitely. And I think that was Argentina's approach back then. Today is a little bit different. We define more mm-hmm. what we want to make and what we believe is special from Argentina. And then we hope people to like it, you know. But Argentina has done a, a trend into establishing and creating a category and where we are standing as an industry today. So after that, she started her own winery, as she always wanted. It was when she was come from the first project, she sold it and saved that money for Jose and, and my education. And then when she was trying to find investor to build Susana Balbo, mm-hmm. and she couldn't, she said, okay, if, if I don't trust my own talent, who will? So she invested her own money to start what we have today in a very small way. We have the winery we have today has been enlarged and grew at least in three mm-hmm. four stages. There is a lot of complexity into Argentina's economy because there was that intention, but at the same time, Argentina went through something quite complex, that is El Corralito in 2001. So everyone's savings were kind of trapped in the banks by the government and you couldn't access that. Mm -hmm. And my mother was always a very well-informed person with a lot of friends. So she had some friends in banking. And you never really know, but the streets were saying, that the Corralito was going to happen. Italian Wine Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. So she asked her bank to change and wire her money out, her mm-hmm. savings. And when the Corralito came, she went to her manager at the bank and said, like, what happened? And he said, you are right. I couldn't because in Argentina there are so many things you can never explain. But the only way I can give you your money back, Susana, is if you spend it. You need to spend every single peso or dollar. So she was investing and doing Susana Balbo, the winery, in the middle of the worst crisis Argentina had. But then after that crisis, Argentina has the first big devaluation of three to one and she already, because of her learnings from the first project, knew she wanted to focus this in exports. So her working capital tripled because she was selling abroad and then there was a three to one devaluation. So that was like the first boost of investment energy this project had to make it more stable, let's say. In the middle, she always has this backbone personality of when you want things to change, you need to get involved. So she got involved with the presidency of Wines of Argentina in three opportunities. And she realized, and let's talk now 30 years ago, not 40, 30 something, that Argentina back then didn't have a category belt and that she had to get involved with other colleagues to make that happen, to have a space in the shelves of the world. So she has been also very active into our industry in general, not only 
for our own company. So really building the entire export brand of not just Susana Balbo, but also Argentina as just a category. She was instrumental in that, which is amazing. Definitely. Like building her own reality to make her company successful. It's like before my company will be successful in export, Argentina has to have a category built, you know? Right. Well, wow. So many accomplishments that your mother has under her belt. It's really inspiring. And I imagine someone that's really inspiring for you to work with as well. So Anna, you told us about your humble beginnings joining the family business, but tell us a little bit more about your role today at the winery and also what you're doing in the hospitality space more specifically. Right. Yes. We, as being part of the family, we wear a lot of different hats. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So we are members of the board and we are really involved with the strategy at a very broad way, but also in my case, I'm marketing and communication manager of the winery. So I drive the strategy in the different markets and I have a colleague of mine doing sales and we do that together for the, all the different brands. And as a side, let's say side project, and that drives a little bit, which I have found uh, in the recent years to be my passion. When I joined the winery in 2012, I realized that we had an amazing place with beautiful views to the Andes and we were doing nothing specifically for tourism in a more offensive way. Back then, we only received what we call professional visits, you know, like 30 to 80 people a year that would be other winemakers or or sales rep, porters. Trade, yeah, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, I founded our first restaurant and opened the doors of the winery to tourism. And that restaurant has only grown year after year. And the winery, Incredible. to give you an idea, in 2019, we were at our peak of visitors with around 22,000 people coming to the winery every year to cheese or tastings or weddings. And then COVID happened, of course. But after COVID, last year was even better than 2019 and this year is even better than last year so has really exploded and we were able to capitalize that because we were very early yeah i was gonna ask anna i mean how did when you opened the first restaurant in 2012 what was tourism like in mendoza when you opened that that first restaurant were there a lot of tasting rooms or was it more you know smaller boutiques tell us just a little bit more about like the landscape in mendoza at that time So 10 years ago, there were definitely not as many offerings as there are today. Let's say we were like a fast second. There were a couple that really intrigued me. So I was like, I definitely need to do this for our winery. But maybe there were like, let's say, no more than five big players or important players. And nowadays, there are 20, 30, I don't know. It's amazing uh, how many different offers has opened in Different wineries from Mendoza, there are like fine dining and high-end or food trucks or picnics or just platters and tastings. And I think we are capitalizing today because tourism is really booming in Mendoza. A good job done for more than 10 years in a very consistent way. You know, last week we were announced that the Michelin Guide is opening guide for Argentina and it's a beginning with... Mendoza and Buenos Aires. So everyone is very excited about that. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yes. We don't know who will get listed, but it's definitely a sign that Mendoza is doing 
a hospitality job really well and we are getting a lot of attention. And the first list will be shown uh, November the 24th. Exciting. After uh, inaugurating Osadia, the restaurant, a couple of years later, I opened a second space that it was for more casual uh, picnics and kind of a multi-space that is called Espacio Crios. And now is the heart of our tourism because people come here, but they can have lunch or just tour. And if they tour, they might have an experience that can be a different tasting with a specific theme, or it can be a blending competition, or it can be a cooking class, or it can be their different offers at the winery nowadays. Very cool. And also before COVID, I got interested in having our own e-commerce platform. I did a, an e-commerce platform to do direct to consumer sales in Argentina. And that was very convenient the time as well, because during COVID, everything was functioning and we also capitalized that. Yes. And well, and now recently we have just uh, inaugurated a um, small luxury hotel. Wow. It's not inside the winery. It's 15 minutes away in the small town, which is at the same distance from the city center than Luján de Cuyo, where the winery is. So it's a very nice location. I think the important thing to, to understand here is how... Uh, myself being a second generation that I, I'm not a winemaker, I could find my own space uh, within our family project and have my own, you know, achievements and, and my own entrepreneurs inside our project. And, and I could do my career without overstepping nor my mother's role or nor my, my brother's role. And that's very satisfying, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also, you developed an entire new revenue stream for your family's business in the hospitality space with the restaurant, the multi-use space, and now the, you know, luxury boutique hotel. I mean, you're, you're creating new, new forms of business. So that's also really impressive and, and important, you know, to diversify, right? You know, that way, let's say exports are having a tough year, you can lean more on hospitality, vice versa. We have to be ready for everything if we've learned anything from 2020. So it's important to have different capabilities in a business as well. You know, and that was, wasn't very clear at the beginning. And because I studied business and I would do a business plan for every project I opened in the winery, when I started with tourism or when I started with e-commerce, for example, I told uh, my mother and, and the rest of the team, our CEO, our general manager, like, I need to invest this amount of money and we're going to lose money two years to start earning the third year. So you need to trust me and I need uh, some backup for this because then it's going to pay off. And this year, for example, that uh, exports for Argentina are tricky. And after COVID, um, the category has been very challenging. Mm -hmm. Everything we have done in tourism has really become, a, as you said, a very important revenue stream and very tangible, you know, right. with good margins and a very interesting way of putting the eggs in different baskets somehow. And, and well, but then it's, it's the result after 10 years of work, you know, it wasn't that clear at the beginning. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. And like you said, you have to take some risks and maybe for a couple of years, lose some money in order for the long-term gain, to gain some notoriety and to create a viable revenue stream. How do you think the hospitality space that you've developed for Susana Balbo has further established Susana Balbo as an international brand? I think 
it's one of the most relevant marketing tools we have because when people come here, they close the loop between whatever they had in their heads about the brand or whatever we have promised, let's say in communication, in our website, in pictures, with the real thing. So when they come here, and they see how passionate we are for details, how clean everything is, how professional the team is in hospitality, they kind of say, okay, and and the wines are like that. They are clean and they are well done and they're very consistent in quality. So the philosophy of the brand, it doesn't matter if it's about hospitality or if it's about the wines, it's the same. And you can see that, that line very clearly. And I think it creates consumer for life, you know, uh, forever. So I think it's a great contributor to establish the brand as a luxury wine brand um, because there are other tangible aspects of the brand that they can experience or see or live that goes beyond the wine. And it creates a memory, right, as well after they visit the property. It creates something so tangible in their minds that they can relate to when they're back in their home market and they see that bottle on the shelf when they're in the store. So it really, yeah, makes a lot of sense how that really cements the brand by having that experience. Definitely. Yes, that, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Well, of course, we need to do a good job here, you know, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> of course, yes. And they yeah. come to have a great experience. Definitely. You know, you and your mother are constantly innovating. Tell us a little bit more. What's on the horizon for you in terms of the business? Are you working on any new projects in the hospitality space or just at the winery in general? Yes, it's part of our brand DNA, innovation. So we're always working in new projects. For example, if we talk about wine, only in the last five years, we have launched lower in alcohol wines. We have transitioned our two vineyards to organic. We have new organic wines. We have um, some uh, beverage out of grapes without alcohol at all, but it's not wine. Amazing. Not everything goes to every market, but we are constantly doing and launching different products. And today... What gets us excited the most about Argentina, it's actually white wine, not red wine. Right. We already produce and sell 30 to 40% white wine and rosé, while an average producer from Argentina will produce and or sell between 7 to 15, no more than that. Mm, interesting. So um, there is a lot of new things going on on the wine side. And in, on the hospitality side... Today, my focus is to um, establish in a very consistent way the hotel because it's only one year old and we have had great results so far, great um, repercussion with press. Only in the first year, we were named among the most uh, relevant openings for Condenast, for travel and leisure. Um, also, last week, we were mentioned by the New York Times about one of the most exciting places to go. But then again, we need to deliver the promise here. So I'm, I'm very focused to the team and the quality of service and everything we're doing at the hotel by now. But we already have some new land in the Uco Valley because my hotel is not in the middle of the vineyard. Right. The location is amazing and it's very near the airport, the city center without being in the city center. A lot of wineries from the Vistalba, Compuertas, Luján de Cuyo region. But we want to construct and open a mountain lodge so people can come 
to the hotel in Chakras, which is also the seven rooms are a spa. So it's a place related to wellness as well. And then they can go two or three days to the mountains in the middle of the vineyard and be more immersed in nature. Oh, beautiful. So the next for hospitality is the mountain lodge. Exciting. I really need to plan another trip back to Argentina, it sounds like. Lots to see down there. Definitely, definitely. When was the last time you were here? Oh, it was, I did a post-college backpacking trip for six months. And uh, so it was just over 10 years ago, actually. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was in... All over Patagonia, Buenos Aires, and then up in Salta. And I actually did not go to Mendoza. So that is very much top of my list. So maybe uh, a trip will be in the works soon. Anyway, sounds like some really beautiful, exciting projects that are in the works and all exciting things. So as we wind down, we have to finish always, of course, with our rapid fire quiz. Where we'll hone in on some of the key takeaways that you shared with us, Anna, in today's episode. So if you can do your best to answer these questions in just a couple of sentences, that would be great. So question number one, how do you effectively transition a first generation business to the second generation with in a family company? I think that first you need a first generation, a really open-minded as my mother that is willing to empower the second generation. And then you need a second generation with a profound respect and admiration of what has been done before to keep on the legacy and sustaining a brand essence throughout the different generations. Very important. Amazing. Question number two, what are your tips for building a successful hospitality business? I think that regarding hospitality, it's all about passion to detail. I will summarize this in being very detail-oriented in every single aspect of the project, from the people you hire, the aspects of the place, the aesthetics, uh, to have the, the numbers in order. If you are really detail-oriented in everything, I think there is no way at failing in hospitality. Mm, yeah, that's a really good reminder. And important for when you're hiring for a hospitality projects too, the type of people you bring on board. And finally, question number three, you know, Susana Bobo, amazing innovator, history of so many great innovations in Argentina, yourself constantly innovating in hospitality. So what do you think are some of the most effective ways to stay ahead of how the wine business is evolving in order to keep your business relevant? I think the easiest and most effective way is traveling, traveling, and traveling. Tasting, talking to people, talking to colleagues, tasting their wines in other regions, visiting their places, talking to press and key opinion leaders about the perception of everything that's happening here and there. That's the best way of staying ahead of how the business is going to evolve. Gaining perspective. Yeah, that's so important. Well, Anna, thank you so much for joining us today on Masterclass US Wine Market on the Italian Wine Podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Really inspirational, all the work you and your mother are doing. And it's great to catch up and hear more about it. How can our listeners connect with you? Thanks uh, for inviting me. And when I hope it was useful. Uh, I have an open Instagram account. So it's uh, at analovagliovalvo. Okay. And if not in any of our social media of the winery or website, eventually anyone can, can get directly to me. That's, the, that's how the family business is, you know? <laughs> okay, amazing. Fantastic. Well, Anna, thank you again for joining us today. Thanks to you and thanks for the audience to listening. Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned each week for new episodes of Masterclass US Wine Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. And remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit the like and follow buttons wherever you get your podcasts.